0: Want to support the show? Visit the store on BizarreAlbums.com for enamel pins, stickers, and brand spanking new t-shirts just added to the store at com. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is bizarre albums today's episode yoko ono john lennon unfinished music number one two virgins from 1968
1: so this is christmas and what have you done another
0: Happy Christmas, parentheses, war is over, is officially credited to John and Yoko, the Plastic Ono Band with the Harlem Community Choir. It was first released in the U.S. in 1971 and one year later in the U.K. To this day, the song is a perennial holiday staple. It's even been known to re-enter the charts. Its peak position on the U.K. charts came in 1980 when it reached number two. But unfortunately that year, It wasn't simply for the Christmas season that caused it. On December 8th, 1980, 40 years ago from today if you're listening to this the day of its release, the Miami Dolphins were playing the New England Patriots on Monday Night Football. Announcers Frank Gifford and Howard Cosell were calling the game. Shortly after 11pm, with only 3 seconds left in regulation, Howard Cosell made an announcement That shocked the world. Remember, this
1: is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. An unspeakable tragedy confirmed to us by ABC News in New York City. John Lennon, outside of his apartment building on the west side of New York City, the most famous perhaps of all of the Beatles, shot twice in the back, rushed to Roosevelt Hospital, dead on arrival.
0: John Lennon was just 40 years old. Just 10 years after the breakup of the Beatles, 11 years after marrying his wife, Yoko Ono. It
1: was sort of 1966, and uh, I got a call from a, a guy called John Dunbar, who used to be married to Marion Faithful, you know, everybody's connected. And he had a gallery in London called Indica Gallery, an art gallery. And I used to go there occasionally to see whatever art show was on, you see. And he said, oh, I've got this, um, there's this fantastic Japanese girl coming from New York, and she's going to do this other thing, but she's also going to put on an exhibition at my gallery. And it's
0: going to be this big event, something about black bags. And I thought, oh, geez, you know. That's John Lennon in an interview from August of 1980, talking about how he first met Yoko Ono. It was November 9th, 1966, for her show that was titled Unfinished Paintings and Objects by Yoko Ono. This was three months after the Beatles had released their highly innovative seventh album, Revolver. the The Beatles had also completely stopped touring just a few weeks after the release of Revolver. They had become exhausted, there were security concerns... Plus, their crowds had become so big, and the amplifiers and PA systems back then just didn't have enough power to allow the band to even hear themselves over the screaming fans. This was also just a few weeks before they would begin work on their landmark album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. We're Lennon thought that he was going to the opening of the show but it was the night before the opening. He was initially quite skeptical of the exhibit. He wasn't that familiar with concept art. He found it strange seeing things like an apple on a stand selling for 200 pounds. Another piece was called Hammer a Nail. But it was one piece called Ceiling Painting, Yes Painting that turned Lennon. It consisted of a ladder with a magnifying glass on top. Lennon climbed the ladder, then looked through the glass and saw the word Yes on the ceiling. Lennon said he took this quote as a personal and positive message. He said that most of the avant-garde work he had seen up until that point was all negative and anti-everything. The two were then introduced by the gallery owner. Yoko had no idea who John was, but said in later interviews that she was very attracted to him. Before leaving, Lennon asked her if he could hammer a nail into her hammer-a-nail piece. Here's more from the Lennon 1980 interview.
1: She comes over and he says... All right. No smiling or anything, because you know how she is. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's not running for office. She never was. So, She looks at me and she says, you give me five shillings. Give me five shillings and you can hammer a nail in. So I looked at her and I said, I'll give you an imaginary five shillings and, ha- and hammer an imaginary nail in, okay? <laughs> and that's when we connected really, and we looked at each other like, you know, that sort of, something
0: went on. But Yoko was married at the time to her second husband, film producer and art promoter Anthony Cox. And Lennon had been married to his wife Cynthia since 1962. Lennon himself had later said that his marriage to Cynthia wasn't unhappy, but they had just sustained. But Cynthia was feeling more and more distance from John at this time. In May of 1968, she took a trip to Italy with two of her friends. Other sources have claimed she took their son Julian to Greece, so I'm not sure which it actually is. But while she was away... John invited Yoko over to their house in Surrey. John had a room in his house that he used to write and make tape loops. He'd learned how to make tape loops from Paul McCartney, who had been inspired by the German composer Stockhausen's 1955 piece, the title of which translates to Song of the Youths. I won't try to say the German title. It's been called the first masterpiece of electronic music. When the Beatles recorded Revolver, they started to see the recording studio as an instrument itself and didn't worry about having to recreate the sounds live. They used tape loops for the first time on Revolver's closer, Tomorrow Never Knows. So on the night of May 19th, 1968, John and Yoko took some acid and went into John's home studio. And now, to read a quote from the 1980 Playboy interview, from the Sloppy Boys, both the band and the new podcast, here's Mike Hanford, reading as John Lennon.
1: Well, after Yoko and I met, I didn't realize I was in love with her. I was still thinking it was an artistic collaboration, as it were. Producer and artist, right? My ex-wife was away, and... Yoko came to visit me. Instead of making love, we went upstairs and made tapes. I had this room full of different tapes where I would write and make strange loops and things like that for the Beatles stuff. So we made a tape all night. She was doing her funny voices and I was pushing all different buttons on my tape recorder and getting sound effects. And then as the sun rose, we made love and that was Two Virgins. That was the first time. Two Virgins happened by accident. I realized somebody else is balmy as me, a wife with freaky sounds, and could enjoy non-dance music or non-pop music that was, well, they call it avant-garde.
0: Cynthia Lennon returned from her trip earlier than expected, only to find John and Yoko sitting on the floor staring into each other's eyes. In a 1985 interview with NPR's Fresh Air, Cynthia said, quote, I met her actually when I came home from a holiday, but I had seen her before. I mean, I met her physically, you could say. She had been staying with John that night, and I came home, and there they were, which was sort of curtains for our marriage, as far as all of us were concerned, really. End quote. John was now out of his marriage, but he was still in the Beatles. Ever since they had stopped touring in 1966, he'd been wanting to break away. He was looking for somewhere to go but he said he was too scared. He said when he met Yoko, it was different than anything before, more than a hit record, more than everything. Just 11 days after John and Yoko made those tapes, the Beatles began work on their self-titled ninth album, better known as The White Album. And for the first time ever, someone else was in the studio besides the band and the producer, George Martin. John brought Yoko with him to every session, even once when she was ill. She had a bed in the studio, and she laid in the bed while the band recorded. She even made her way onto the record, providing some vocals on the songs Birthday and the continuing story of Bungalow Bill.
1: The children asked him if to kill was not a sin not when he looked so fierce. his mommy him.
0: To be fair, let it be known that Ringo and George's wives were also on those songs. But Yoko also had a hand in Revolution No. 9, which was an 8-minute avant-garde piece, again using tape loops.
1: Nine, number nine.
0: The White Album would be the first album that they released on their new label, Apple Records. Apple was started as a creative outlet for the band, both individually and as a group. John wanted to release his and Yoko's tapes on Apple. It would have been Apple's first release, but the rest of the band was not so excited about releasing it, delaying its release month after month. And what made them even more hesitant was the photo that John and Yoko wanted to use for the cover. In early October, using a time-delay camera, the two of them stood completely naked, with John's arm around Yoko, Lennon said the photo was intentionally not glamorous. They used the most unflattering picture on purpose to show that they were both human. Despite all of this, the album would still see a release. On November 11 1968, Yoko Ono, John Lennon, Unfinished Music No. 1, Two Virgins, was released on Apple Records.
1: It's a mixed, page 444.
0: This is another record that's a little bit tricky to cover. There's no track listing. It's just side one and side two. Each side is just shy of 15 minutes. And here's a little sample of side one.
1: It's very hard making any sound because you've got a superimpose, man. You
0: John and Yoko said that they had imagined the sound is not etched onto the record itself, but that it was meant to be created in the mind of the listener, which is why it has unfinished music in the title. That was an idea that came from Yoko's Grapefruit, which was a conceptual book of instructions to be completed in the mind. Lennon later said that he thought the album could change people, just as others had changed his head. It would probably still be difficult in 2020 to get an album distributed with a fully nude man and woman on the cover. So imagine the outrage in 1968. To solve this problem, the album started being sold in a plain brown wrapper. The album's UK release was on November 29, 1968, a few weeks after the US release. And just a little side note, the Beatles' White Album was released on November 22nd, 1968. Though the Beatles had their Apple label now, those records were distributed through EMI. In the UK, that meant the records still had Parlophone Records catalog numbers. And in the US, it had Capitol Records catalog numbers. But EMI refused to distribute the album unless the cover was changed. They pressed 5,000 copies of the album in the UK, but they wouldn't print the cover. So the cover was printed elsewhere, and Beatle fans would pack the vinyl into the sleeves in the basement of the Apple offices. In the United States, Capitol Records would not press the album, so it was pressed and distributed by Tetragrammation Records, a very short-lived label founded by Bill Cosby and his manager. Filth! Flarm! Filth! Flyin filth! The album cover was so controversial that on January 2, 1969, upwards of 30,000 copies were seized by the police at the Newark airport for being what was deemed pornographic. In addition to that front picture, the back cover also had a picture of John and Yoko's backsides with their naked bodies. On that note, here's a little bit from side two. Paul McCartney has said that he wasn't that into the record, saying that it wasn't that shocking to him because he had made a lot like that himself that he would give to friends. Of the album's famous cover, McCartney said, quote, I was slightly shocked, but seeing as I wrote a liner note for the sleeve, I obviously wasn't too uptight. End quote. His quote for the album was put on the back of the UK release. It read, quote, When two great saints meet... It is a humbling experience, the long battles to prove he was a saint, end quote. The album reportedly ended up selling only about 25,000 copies in the United States, partially due to the distribution problems. It never charted in the UK, but it did reach number 124 in the US. Despite the poor response, there's still always a market for anything Beatle related. There are a lot of bootlegs that have gone around over the years, and it got a CD release in 1991 on Creative Sounds. In 2016, it was reissued on both CD and vinyl by Secretly Canadian. It came with a download card that even gave you bonus material. The download card had a hole in it, and one side of it had printed, A hole to see the sky through. Yoko Ono, 71. The album was Unfinished Music Number 1 for a reason. Just six months after its release, John and Yoko would release Unfinished Music Number 2, life with lions. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums.